Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 22. Great to see everyone this morning. Today is part two in our two-part series entitled The Greatest. The Greatest. Yolanda, I see you back there. We love you, praying for you, your daughters, your son, your family. A certain teacher of the law asked Jesus a question. Look at verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your beautiful presence in our midst. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak, God, to us through your word today that you would be glorified. Lord, that the church would be built up, strengthened, and edified in their faith. And I pray through the power of your spirit you would open hearts and minds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That many, God, can be drawn to your redeeming love through faith in Jesus. We ask it all in his precious and holy name. Amen. Jesus answers the question of this lawyer, not a lawyer who might represent you before a judge or counsel you in a legal manner. This lawyer was an expert in Old Testament law. The Old Testament laws are the laws God gave to the Israelites through Moses. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17, we read, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In part one, I shared that the Old Testament law has three main divisions. Number one, civil. The civil laws deal with disputes between individuals. Number two, ceremonial. The ceremonial laws expired with the fulfillment of the priestly work of Christ on the cross. And number three, moral. There's no expiration of the moral law of God because it's based on God's holy character. This expert in Old Testament law was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a teacher of the law. As I shared last week, there were over 600 laws. Many scholars agree that there were approximately 613 laws. This certain lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Out of the 613 laws, which commandment is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. For the Jew then, and for the Jew now, this portion of Scripture is the most sacred passage in all of Scripture. It's called the Shema which is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. 
It became one of the most important prayers the Hebrews prayed. In fact, Hebrew fathers taught this prayer to their children growing up. They would pray or recite it twice a day, first thing in the morning and then at the end of the day. So when Jesus answered the question of this Hebrew teacher of the law, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law, by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, this Hebrew teacher of the law personally knew the importance of the Lord's command to love him with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Long, long before Jesus ever came on the scene, this command to love God with everything was already understood to be the greatest commandment um, God had ever given. But his answer doesn't stop at Deuteronomy chapter 6. He connects Leviticus chapter 19 verses 18b to it. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 38 and 39, Jesus answers this Hebrew teacher of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To hear Jesus talk, it's as if these two commandments were always meant to be together. But these two commandments haven't always been so tied together. In fact, when Jesus taught on love by saying that we must love God and others together, it was actually a radical new way of looking at things. You see that the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, found in Leviticus 19, was, was also important. It was, however, not nearly as central as the first and was not naturally connected to the first. Jesus, however, changed all that when he did two things. First, he clarified it. And second, he connected it. How did Jesus clarify this commandment? Back then, the command to love your neighbor as yourself applied in practice only to your neighbors who are of Jewish descent. And this is so critically, critically important. As you read Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18, you'll notice that the command specifically refers to loving your fellow Jews. I encourage you this week to read Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. And as you read through those verses, you'll notice that the command specifically refers to loving your fellow Jews. In fact, verse 19 says, you shall not take vengeance nor any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. This command is not coming from man. I am the Lord. It comes from God. Notice in today's main text in Matthew chapter two, 22, Jesus drops of your people. 
He drops of your people. This was revolutionary. Jesus is calling the Jews to love Gentiles. He's calling Jews to love Samaritans, and he's calling Jews to love the Romans. Gentiles were non-Jews. Samaritans were half Gentile and half Jew. There was quite a rift between Jews and Samaritans. And the Romans, we all know, were oppressive. The Jews were awaiting a Messiah. They were awaiting a Savior who would overthrow the Roman government and lead the Jews to a military victory. But Jesus commands, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Greek word for neighbor means near one. To love God, please hear this this morning, church, To love God cannot be divorced from love for one's neighbor, near one. By quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Jesus is putting on the same level as the Shema recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He's putting Leviticus 19, 18 on the same level of the Shema. In Luke chapter 10, we read about a time when a certain teacher of the law pushed Jesus on this very, very point. Turn, if you will, please, to Luke's gospel, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke's gospel, chapter 10. Let's begin reading at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now keep in mind, this this lawyer is an expert in Old Testament law. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God. This expert in OT law responds to Jesus. He answers Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in verse 28, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This teacher of the law most likely wanted to hear Jesus respond, the children of your people. The children of your people. A person of Jewish descent. That is not, however, how Jesus responds to the question. Instead, Jesus told the lawyer a story about a good Samaritan, a man whose racial heritage would have made him an object of intense Jewish mockery and hatred. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Please follow along as I, as I read those verses today. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, the expert in OT law said to Jesus, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus' whole point, Jesus' point seems to be that your neighbor is not so much the person who is like you, but the person who is near you and in need. Not so much the person who is like you, but the person who is near you and in need. The person's race, the person's religious creed or status in life didn't matter, period. Didn't matter, period. For many Jews of that time, this was a radical, radical, radical idea. In church, we're commanded by God to find a way to love the person who is not like us. Just as we love ourselves, to care for those in need who are not like us, just like we care for ourselves. Having clarified this lesser known commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus took this commandment and connected it to the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This was radical. If a person who is growing, church, hear this this morning. If a person um, who is growing in love for God, you will also be a person who is simultaneously growing in your love for people. If you are a person, let me stress this again. If you are a person who is growing in your love for God, you will also be a person who is simultaneously growing in your love for people. Amen? And I want to emphasize all people. John three sixteen. I hope we never tire from this passage, John three sixteen. I was meditating, meditating on it this morning, and it, it moves me every time that I read this verse. I like to put my name in the verse. 
For God so loved the world. For God so loved Pat Medeiros that he gave his only begotten son. I hope you never tire of hearing this glorious truth that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If that passage doesn't move you like it once moved you, oh boy, that would be concerning. For God so loved, put your name there, Pat. For God so loved Dan. For God so loved Ken. Put your name there. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Church, the main way you demonstrate your love for God is in the way you love your neighbor. The way that you love one another. Jesus himself made this clear in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Jesus is our example. That you Also, love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. Quite clear. Jesus says, love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian, a Christ follower. Our love for others, our love for our neighbors, those who are not like us, those who don't look like us. Christians, Christ followers, are not primarily known for what we believe, though very, very important. Christ followers are not primarily known for our moral principles, though very, very important. Both doctrine and morality are certainly very, very important. But according to Jesus, if we truly love and follow Christ, the thing that will most distinguish us from others is our love for God in one another. Amen? Our love for our neighbor. The person who is not like us. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God is love. 1 John 4, 8. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Powerful portion of scripture. These two commandments, loving God, loving people, are forever connected. 
Jesus connected them. That day, when this certain expert in old T law asked him the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The fact that God loves every single person you will ever meet, the fact that he deeply loves every single one of our neighbors, As Christ followers, we are commanded to love them too. You cannot love God and not love your neighbor too. They're forever linked. You're quiet today. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus told this expert in Old Testament law on these two commandments... Hang all the law in the prophets. In other words, everything else God said in the Old Testament hangs on loving God and loving people. As I shared last week, 24 years ago when I transitioned from student pastor to lead pastor, I was in prayer one day here in the sanctuary asking the Lord for his wisdom and and what am I to focus on? The church was going through a, a big transition at the time and Lord, what should I focus on? What should be my primary focus? And I'll never, never forget it. The Lord spoke to my heart. This is to be your primary focus, loving me and loving people. And that's been my guiding principle these last 24 years as as I've had the privilege and honor to, to shepherd and to pastor and to lead this local body of believers. Loving God, loving people. Everything else God said in the Old Testament hangs on these commands. You don't need any more rules. How many like that? You don't need any more rules. Everything else is just a definition of loving God, loving people. Everything else is an explanation. Last week I shared that the Ten Commandments, which were given in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, lay out what loving God and loving people looks like. The first four commands tell us what it means to love God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The last six commands spell out what it means to love your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false testimony. Don't covet what God has given your neighbor. Oh, our world would be such a a better place if we would just vertically love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and horizontally love our neighbor as ourself. We see what it looks like in the Ten Commandments. The first four speaking vertically, the last six speaking horizontally. The second commandment is of the same nature as the first, Jesus said. It is of the same character as the first. You see, when you love God right, hear this this morning, when you love God right, you'll love people right. When you love God right, you'll love people right. 
the Pharisees, who were experts in Old Testament law, didn't do that. They didn't do that. This certain lawyer, Pharisee, in our main scripture text, who asked Jesus the question, teacher, which is the first commandment, which is the great commandment in the law, he didn't do that. You see, these teachers of the law, they placed heavy burdens on people, on fellow Jews. That's why Jesus offered this invitation recorded in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is an invitation for you today as well. Come to me, Jesus gives you this invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, these teachers of the Old Testament law, they used people. They used people. Religious leaders, teachers of Old Testament law, they they used people, they abused people, they were cruel to people, they stole from people in the temple. The fact that there are laws in the scripture against murder indicates that people don't love each other. The fact that there are laws in the Bible against idolatry means we don't love God the way we ought to love God. If we love God, we won't take his name in vain. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, we we won't steal from them, we won't covet what they have, we won't be unkind to them, we won't gossip about them, slander them or hurt them in any way. You see the point. Everything is summed up in in loving God, loving people. The apostle Paul made this very clear in Romans 13. He says in verses eight through 10, owe no one anything except love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The Old Testament law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul understood this. He understood what Jesus was was saying to this expert in Old Testament law. Church, if I love my neighbor as myself, if I love you, if I focus on meeting your needs and, and making sure everything is all right with you, that your needs are, are personally met, then I don't need any laws to protect you from me. You don't need any laws. I don't need any laws. And if I love God with all my heart, if I love God with all my soul, if I love God with all my mind, if I love God with all my strength, then I don't need a law that says don't make idols. But truth be told, Pat Medeiros falls short. Truth be told, 
We all fall short. Our heart, our heart apart from Christ is self-serving and is an idol-making factory. You know, last Sunday I shared an idol is anything more important to you than God. Is there anything in your life right now that's more important to you than God? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is. He'll reveal. Motivated by love. To draw you deeper and more deeper intimacy with your creator. And to make you more like Jesus. Isn't that the goal, church? Jesus' answer was so right and so unmasking of these religious hypocrites that in the gospel, they were, this, this lawyer was trying to trap Jesus. He was, try, he was testing Jesus. He was trying to trip Jesus up. And Jesus' answer was so right and so unmasking of this religious hypocrite that in the gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 34, Mark closes his description of this account in our main scripture text saying, but after that, no one did question Jesus. No one did question Jesus. Jesus silenced his critics. He did it so well. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, the apostle Paul writes, let love be without hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrisy means without a mask. You see, the Christians in Rome knew exactly the point Paul was making when he used this Greek word and commanded them to love one another without a mask. In ancient Greek theater, all the actors were males. Each played uh, multiple parts in a play or a production. A male actor might play a part of a woman, a child, or two or three different men in the same play. This was done through the use of different masks, character masks. The actor could play many different characters by wearing a certain mask to portray the face of a man, a woman, or a child he was acting out. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, love for real. Love for real. Be sincere. Be genuine. Love without hypocrisy. Oh, I love you, Pastor Dan. Oh, man of God that you are. Oh, that Pastor Dan. Oh, boy. He's just, oh, I can't. Oh. Love without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy shows itself in two ways. First, it tries to make the outside look better than the inside. What I mean by this is we put forward what looks like a loving and caring act. But truth be told, in reality, that's not how we feel on the inside. That's hypocrisy. Oh, Pastor Dan, man of God. Oh, I can't stand him. Mm-hmm. 
the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can do some remarkable, remarkable external acts of sacrificial giving, and yet not have love in your heart. That's hypocrisy. In Gospels, Matthew, in, in, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, we, we see a prime example of this kind of hypocrisy. Jesus says, hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth? He's talking to the experts in Old Testament law, these Pharisees, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me? You see, external lip praise was not accompanied by internal heart praise. Jesus called this hypocrisy, plain and simple. It's not my words, it's his. The second way that hypocrisy shows itself is we hide our flaws. I'm a flawed vessel saved by grace in this process of sanctification. I've been justified by the work that Jesus finished on the cross. How many have been justified, amen? You've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You called upon his name, he saved you, he justified you, just as if you've never sinned. That's a miracle, church. That's a miracle of grace. How many miracles do we have in the house here today? And now we're all in this process of sanctification. I'm a flawed vessel. I'm a justified vessel. I'm a forgiven vessel, but I'm a flawed vessel in the process of being made more and more like Jesus. And so I need the grace of God, the grace that saved me at 12 years old. I need that same measure of grace today at 57 years old. I need grace from you. I need grace from my wife and from my children. And my wife needs my grace and you need my grace. We're grace dispensers. We're saved by grace, filled with the grace of God. We're grace dispensers. When we get squeezed, what comes out? Hopefully grace. Amazing grace. Because we're a work of grace in the process of being sanctified and made more and more like Jesus. And one day we're going to cross the finish line. Oh, our sister Mary, she's almost there. She's almost there. And oh, she's almost there. One day we're going to cross the finish line and we're going to be glorified just like he is. Glory to God. It's all grace. It's all grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We hide our flaws by drawing attention to other people's flaws. So to hide ours from others and even from ourselves. We deceive ourselves. 
And how do we deceive ourselves? When we make ourselves the standard on how everyone else is to live their life. Why doesn't this person have this conviction? Why doesn't this person like this style of worship music? Be careful that we don't make ourselves the standard. We do this naturally. We do. God help us. I need grace. You need grace. I can't wait to see my new daughter-in-law, Grace. (laughs) Mom and dad filling Maybe today, maybe today we might see these two lovebirds. In Luke chapter 6, verse 42, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. That's Jesus' words. Jesus called this hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul is saying, real genuine love for God and your neighbor doesn't act like this. Love without hypocrisy. Be real, be sincere, be genuine, be Christ-like. Jesus said to this expert in the Old Testament law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As I prepare to close, loving God, loving people are inseparable. You cannot do one without the other. It's absolutely impossible as Christ followers. Sincere, true Christ followers. Loving God influences how you see and love people. Let me say this again here today. Loving God influences how you see and love people. Jesus didn't see a prostitute. He didn't see an outcast from society. Jesus didn't see a crippled man. Jesus saw his neighbors in the image of the creator. You see, church, seeing rightly is the beginning of forgiveness. Seeing rightly is the beginning of grace. Seeing rightly is the beginning of healing, wholeness. Loving God influences how you pray for people who are not like you. Instead of strike them dead, you pray, God, may they know the eternal life that you offer through faith in Jesus. For you desire that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. 
Loving God influences how you help and serve people who are different than you or may be hurting. Loving God influences how you treat people, how you, how you respond or react to your enemies. To those who hate you because they hate Jesus in you. To those who have offended you. I love our church family. We're all a work of grace and I love the journey that we're all on together. Works of his amazing grace being perfected and looking more and more like Jesus and for all the different ways that you exemplify love of God and love of people. As Pastor Dan shared earlier, Mary's grandson got married yesterday and the wedding was on Seneca Lake and the, the, the plan from the beginning was the family was going to spend Friday, Saturday and Sunday there at the lake and family came in from out of state and, and as we've been sharing Mary is, is very close to the finish line the peace of God in her heart is so precious, so beautiful Ben was going to stay behind but was able to have some peace to go to the wedding ceremony and then to come back because of this body of believers. So many of you sat with Mary yesterday from the time that the family left to go to Seneca Lake until the evening when when the family members could return to be with her. It gave them great peace of mind. It gave her, her daughter, whose son was getting married, peace in a very difficult situation. She wanted to be with her mother, and yet she wanted to celebrate the marriage of her son and their son, Mark. It gave him such comfort and, and, and peace, knowing that there were going to be people from her church family sitting with her. And I heard from some of you how she couldn't say a whole lot, but she would just give you her hand and you just held her hand during that time. I'm so blessed to pastor this precious flock here at Greece Assembly. And you've exemplified loving God, loving people yesterday in such a beautiful God-honoring way. We're not perfect at loving God and loving people. We're in constant need of his grace and in growth because we do desire as a whole body, as a, as a servant leadership team and as a whole church family, we desire to grow better in loving God and loving people and we help each other grow by being dispensers of grace God's amazing grace can I hear a big amen church 
Here's some practical ways to show and express sincere, genuine love. Forgive. That's a word for somebody today. Forgive. One of the things my wife and I have tried to do by the grace of God even through failure by the grace of God is train our children to love more deeply when they're presented with these two opportunities in life and relationships with other people you're going to be presented with these two opportunities in relationship with people you're going to be presented with the opportunity to be deeply offended or to love more deeply when we realize how deeply we are loved by God when we understand just this much of the grace of God and Paul says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the grace of God and the power and strength of the Holy Spirit we can deny our pride and choose to love more deeply choose to love more deeply someone here today needs to forgive needs to forgive someone you have been forgiven much now we're to forgive much can I hear a big amen encourage someone help your neighbor Give to those in need. Pray for the lost people on your street, in your workplace. You know those high school friends, those old high school friends that you've grown up with? Now you're in your 30s and 40s? Pray for their salvation. Better yet... (laughs) Bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give them a verbal witness. That's what loving God, loving people does. Because we know eternity is real. It's not a myth. Life doesn't end when we take our last breath on this side of heaven. There's an eternity. There's a heaven. And and there's a hell. Real places. Real places. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself the greatest the greatest among many things you and I could ever do is to love God with our whole being our whole person and to love our neighbor as ourself Would you join me standing? Will you join me today in asking the Holy Spirit to help us fulfill the greatest commandment, loving God, loving people? How many would honestly say before the Lord and each other, 
that I have some growth to do in this department of loving God and loving people. How many, how many want to grow today? How many want to grow tomorrow? How many want to grow on Tuesday? How many want to grow on Wednesday? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's call out to Him. Call out to Him. Thank Him for His grace. Thank Him for His grace. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your unfeeling love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our helper. By your grace and the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, help us, grow us, stretch us, and our love for you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the the Holy Spirit, reveal to us those places in our lives, those idols in our lives, those things that we love more than you, Almighty God. And when you do, I pray for the grace, Lord, to remove those idols from our lives. That you would be our first love. Father, I pray for those who have been battling. They know they have idolatry in their life and and, and you've pointed it out. You've convicted them and and they choose to just continue to, to worship those idols, to love those idols more than you. I pray for those individuals today that they would humble themselves before you and surrender these idols, these places in their heart that are more important than you I pray for your work of grace help us to forgive others help us to be patient to express love through long suffering enable us through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit by the grace of almighty God grow us I pray in Jesus name be glorified Be glorified, be magnified, be exalted and lifted up in our lives. That the testimony of your grace in our lives would be a powerful witness to the lost and dying around us. That they would be attracted to your amazing grace and love and experience your life life more abundantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.